You're listening to the Per Service Podcast, episode number nine. Hello and welcome to the Per Service Podcast. This is the show for classical musicians who are working hard to create a significant life in the performing arts. And today on the show, we have a little bit of a confession. We are cynical and overly critical people. (gasps) I know, you must be shocked. But we're so smiley in all our pictures and joke around on the podcast. How could that be? Well, we're not really here to unpack our baggage, but rather talk about this topic that affects a lot of musicians. And... Does it just come with the territory of becoming a musician, or is it something we should be cautious of? There's some good discussions and a list of actionable steps we can take to avoid cynicism at the end of the discussion. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this discussion. You can learn more about who we are by visiting the show notes page, which is at perservice.co slash nine, like the number. But if you need a quick summary... If we were radio stations, Michael Giblin, that's me, I'd be easy listening the daytime version. The best hits of the 80s, 90s, and today. A lot of yacht rock, but never rocking the boat. Anna Luce, she'd be easy listening the nighttime version. A great companion if you're traveling, and solid advice about complicated romantic issues. Christian Marshall, he'd be smooth jazz. Sophisticated, but smooth. Takes a little while to figure out, but so good once you do. And Jessica Wiersma, she'd be top 40. Energetic, the life of the party, but sometimes says things that just don't make any sense. Well, something like that. Well, I'll be back at the end. Here is our conversation. (laughs) My gig of the week was getting to know the rather underplayed Seventh Symphony by Dvorak. Um. Yeah, which actually has some quite nice melodies, and I I enjoyed getting to know it. But there's this one part where the first stand of violas have a solo. First, the first desk or the first Uh stand of um, Celli have it, and then then it goes to the violas. And uh, definitely, I mean, they played it rhythmically, but it was just in a different tempo than the conductor had. So <laughs> they're like a beat and a half behind. And then you hear the conductor going, da 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 you know? And I'm like, Ooh. and they oh. were like oblivious, like in their own world, like bobbing along to like the rhythm of their stand, you know? <laughs> That's always kind of it's funny when you can, when you're not a part of it and you can just kind of sit yeah, back so and like, just like happen. observe everything. Then... Falling, falling apart. Then there's this other part where I don't remember what move. It was toward the beginning. It was in the first movement. There was something, you know, um, rhythm builds up to the end of the bar. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. And then there's like a beat rest, and then you know it comes strong in, um, mm-hmm. comes in strong on the downbeat. Yeah. And uh, right in that moment. <laughs> the only guy in the second violins tried to like squelch a sneeze <laughs> like, <laughs> it wasn't even a sneeze so you hear like da 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 <laughs> oh my gosh that probably would have been me <laughs> oh my it was so great uh, oh it was hilarious I love my Anna so happy. get it? so good 
No. Yeah, exactly like that. Like it wasn't even. It was like that. Like. Oh, is that, so that was, is that better or worse than playing like being the guy that plays da, 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 like plays no in the it's, last, rather it's, be it's way better yeah it's yeah. so funny i mean it's yeah yeah, yeah playing in a rest like nothing beats that <laughs> horror you get to tell people uh, you soloed with the orchestra then no you don't oh, no no yeah you'd be like well, nice joke know. michael but no we no. don't <laughs> No. So, uh, today, today, we're going to talk about another lighthearted, fun topic. Yeah, I don't know that we're the we're the best people to talk about it because in general, you guys are all very positive, optimistic people. Is that a joke? I think I'm like one of the most cynical people yeah. in the entire world of all time. I, mean, I think it was a joke. Yeah, he's just it talking about half, me. It was a half joke. It was okay. I don't know. I'm we all have, but we are aware of it, which we makes are aware. It. <laughs> yeah, so we are aware. We want to change. <laughs> <laughs> no, and myself included. Sometimes I think I can be the absolute worst when it comes to being cynical. Is what we're talking about today, and sort of the premise, I guess, is the more advanced I become, the more the longer I stay in music the more I'm kind of surrounded by people that either seem really cynical or jaded and often feel myself becoming more cynical. But when I really started thinking about it, it kind of became hard to separate being cynical from being critical. And so I was thought I'd open it up to you guys and see what your thoughts were. Is there a difference really between, or what in your minds is the difference between being cynical and being just critical of a performance? Well, Webster's Dictionary says, I decided to look it up because I was like, well, I don't know. Yeah, um, no. Disapproval based on perceived faults is criticism. <clears throat> Cynicism is distrustful, pessimistic. Yeah. So I feel like that always leaves room. You know, like we always use the term correct. What's it called? Constructive criticism. <laughs> so I feel like criticism can be spun into something that is like maybe okay. Whereas cynicism is always bad. Yeah. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. When I started thinking about that, maybe cynicism is really kind of like unfairly holding opinion about a person or thinking that a person is mm-hmm. always self-serving or self-seeking and not really judging the the merits of an actual performance or how they performed. Do you guys see this also? And I mean... You guys feel like you're you're very cynical people at times. Not to peg you. <laughs> I, I don't know. In in listening to you talk just now, Michael, I, I made a realization that like I'm so critical of the people who are cynical in orchestras who are jaded and have score jobs that like we would love to have, but it seems like they don't appreciate them mm-hmm. anymore. But at the same time, like in my own life in the last ten years, the cynicism has completely crept in on my, you know, my perception of what's going on in the violin world and Mm -hmm. in all facets of being a musician. So it's like, well, I think there needs to be more of an awareness on my part because I I already know that I'm a little cynical and I see that now I'm being a hypocrite as well. So great. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) it's almost the popular thing to be cynical or it's almost everybody else is doing it. Like as soon as you finish a concert or leave a concert, 
if you're with some friends that are also musicians, it's just like bash fest. It's just this yeah. complainer's heyday. It, it can be. Sometimes I think the cynical thing can, can kind of be like a funny joke. If you're doing it with the right people. Do you know what I mean? It can be like, oh, of course we're playing this passage this way because this guy's from this school. Or do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it can quickly cross a line. I mean, yeah, there, there's a time for venting about how terrible a gig is. But I don't think... I don't think that's actually being cynical. I think what Jess is saying is actually the cynicism. Like you're not going to give somebody the benefit of a doubt that they really want to do that bowling because they think it's good. You're going to chalk it up to some sort of selfish or stupid, unjustified yeah. reason. I I think that's that's what cynicism yeah. is. Like you actually don't, you don't want to give something the worth it even claims to deserve because you think mm-hmm. you know better. Like you think you know the true the ulterior motives. Yeah. Or the best quote unquote best or better way to, to do it or to play it or something like that. Yeah. I think it's that you're not giving a person a fair chance at explaining themselves or their motives. It's kind of, you have decided that they are a certain way and they're probably doing whatever they are either for selfish reasons or because they're ignorant and don't know anything better. Yeah. So then what is just being critical or being a critic? Well, I don't know. I mean, okay. Like in your lesson, having your teacher criticize you, hopefully it's done in a constructive manner (laughs) so that you can take that information and improve upon it. So there's, that's the good kind of criticism. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other is like, you know, leaving a concert and especially one that you're not playing in. And saying things like, oh, man, did you hear how they almost messed up this entrance or uh-huh. I don't know. And that's critical, even though it's also just kind of an observation of the thing. I think it's difficult for musicians to go to concerts and not yeah. listen with a critical ear. And I guess maybe I should back up before we go to criticalness is that is cynicism. Is it a bad thing? Is it something we should avoid or is it sort of necessary to continue being a informed musician because it seems like the more advanced musicians you get around it seems like they, it goes kind of hand in hand i beg to differ i think the the more advanced musicians you get around like really the top tier the more the ego falls away and you really see less of the cynicism because they're able to appreciate all of the hard work yeah. The musicians put into it and they can see somebody who maybe isn't at their technical level, but still really worked hard on a performance and they can appreciate that for what it is yeah. and don't need to say like, oh gosh, can you believe he missed that and that and that? Yeah, I guess you're, you're right. The really highest level of musicians know that everybody messes up and that it's just, we're all human. That Right, exactly. But it's not even about musicianship. It's about being human. I love the saying, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Like no matter what field you're in, if you're comfortable with yourself, you have less of a need to lash out at other people. Yeah. And I think that cynicism comes from such a bitterness and hatred, self-loathing to the situation you're in that you didn't get past that, that you just see, you know, all the faults of where you're at, can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. So you just turn to being cynical about it. And that, I mean, then you can't help but to lash out at anything around you. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think it, it's related then like to your self-esteem? Totally. Well, because I was going to say there's a, a group of musicians who play in a like one of the top orchestras in our country. They are the ones who are the mo- have been the most helpful to me in terms of 
the audition process, offering me advice on the audition process, offering to hear me play. And they're the people who I feel they have nothing to prove. And they still all work really hard at their instrument, you know, because uh-huh. then there's the people that they're not in bad orchestras, but they're just not in the top five. Yeah. And they're the ones who seem to be a little bit more cynical because they have, they feel like they have something to prove. With the people that are in, the people that are in sort of mid-level orchestras often are. Yeah. I, and I'm not saying that there is nobody in the top orchestras who is not cynical because I don't know everybody, but I'm just saying in my experience with the few people I know in those top orchestras, they're just very mm-hmm. grateful for what they have. They work really hard still, but they're the most willing to help us being the people who are still trying to get those jobs, get those jobs. And it's the other people I think who feel mm-hmm. more that you're still at competition with each other who become more cynical. Well, I think it's like that quote I think I mentioned in the one of the first episodes and I, I believe it's, if it's not Ken Slowick, then yeah. he was quoting someone else. And sorry, if I don't know who actually said it, but he says the, the lower the stakes, the higher the ego. And like, that's just so true across the board. And I think yes. it absolutely applies to what we're talking about today. Yeah. So I think that really helps clear it up that cynicism is often outpouring or a result of a low self-esteem or maybe some jealousy or inner work inside of you that you have to deal with. Or a superiority thing. Really? Well, like we were saying earlier, if you're, you have a better idea about how to do something than somebody else. And then you're mm-hmm. like, well, of course we're doing it their way because they're the conductor. Or you know what I mean? Like, I think that's pretty cynical. I think that brings up this other idea is that, is there a time when cynicism is helpful? I really don't think so. (laughs) And maybe it's not cynicism, but I feel like there's a little bit of, if you actually want to make something better, if you really think that things could be done better and you want to make a difference and start doing something, maybe it's not necessarily in the context of a Boeing choice or something. But if you see that things are always disorganized or things are always late or things are just not effective, if you want to start something and create something of your own that fixes it, I don't know if it's cynicism that plants that idea in your head that things could be better. I mean, I would definitely not call that cynicism. I guess I would, I would say that's neither. criticism. So criticism is based in perception, perceived flaws. Yeah. And I think in that sense that's planted in your brain, like this could be better. Do I have a platform to make it better? Whereas because cynicism is rooted in pessimism and distrust, it can't produce fruit that is helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't think because I know in my own life it doesn't. So. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. I don't think you'd be able to make that switch between everything sucks here to switch to I'm going to be the person that makes it all better. Yeah. That probably is critique. It is easier to follow up criticism with action to maybe correct a situation or work on a situation, improve a situation. Whereas cynicism is usually not, there's no action to come from that. Yeah. That is going to improve it unless it's an attitude adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, that's how I kind of feel. Yeah. Just sort of festers and, and I think, yeah. And then it, 
it leads to like this jadedness and just overall negativity persona. Yeah. Yeah. And I think cynicism is also a critical attack on character. Criticism can be very factual, very Mm -hmm. nuts and bolts of things. You know, what went well, what didn't really things like just said, you know, you can put into action and improve and cynicism is, you know, really the, the inside stuff and the mindsets and the character and the, hidden agendas and when you start attacking that you really get into this gray territory mm-hmm. that's not easy to improve and not easy to really put labels on that's sort of the tearing other people down doesn't yeah build you up it doesn't you you don't improve by knocking other people right, down. exactly yeah. and that's where you have to be careful to there's a healthy dose of criticism in everyone's life because I do believe that that spurs on productivity and betterment, but there's a fine line where mm-hmm. criticism turns into something negative. And now there's also, there's a time and a place to be critical and to, you know, put forth an opinion that stems from criticism, but is hopefully constructive towards another person. And you can't help how they're going to take what you're saying, but you have to say it in, in love and respect because that that situation can totally move to a cynical bad place on the end as the, of the receiver or on the end of the person giving the yeah so there's to to a certain degree you know you can't help someone else's perception of what you might be trying to say to help but that's where you have to check yeah. your motives and i think when it comes down to it your motive is either from a place of constructive criticism or cynicism. Well, and I think it might depend too what it is. Like if you're in a teacher student situation, the student is kind of expecting criticism, right? And now you can't overload that student in like one lesson. But I think there's more of a hopefully openness to hearing what they need to improve on. Whereas if you are just at some gig and you think that it's being run poorly and you go up to personnel manager or I don't know, skip that stuff and just go straight to the executive director and like tell them what you think needs to be changed. That's not going to be received well because also that's not your place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you have to assess the relationship either if if it's Mm -hmm. in teacher student, like you're saying that that's a given. If you're the student, you have to be willing to receive constructive criticism and know when that teacher's not right for you if like all they tell you is how terrible you are all the time. Yeah. But in chamber music yeah. there's an equality of voices and equality across the board, right? But you still have to judge how much you're allowed to say because if you're the only person that's bringing up how terrible everything is all the time, mm-hmm. you need to check yourself. And in bigger organizations, well actually let me just go yeah. on the scale then. So like in chamber orchestras or yeah. especially conductorless groups, I've had people come in that are ringers to my conductorless chamber orchestra and they want to tell me how to run things. It doesn't go well. I don't mm-hmm. like you can't do that in your first time with us. Conductorless um, chamber orchestra implies that there is equality across the board but like mm-hmm. there's still a pecking order because if you're the new guy, you can't just you know give your yeah. two cents on rehearsal process. Is that just like a seniority thing or Yeah, I think so. Is that like actually where you're sitting? Like if you're sitting in the last chair, you still have to go through the ranks and like kind of pass your idea forward or? No, no. I think in, well, maybe some conductorless groups are different, but I think overall it shouldn't matter where you're sitting. You should have 
the right to say what you want to say. But I think you do have to observe and be a part of the body before you can just pass judgment. Yeah. And like, I'm sure all of us have been, we've been in bigger orchestra situations where we know our place. And even if something isn't going the way that it should and something unfair is happening, we know we can't mm-hmm. just like Jess is saying, shoot to the executive director and say, Hey, <laughs> you know, you have to go through yeah. your principal or the personnel manager, depending on the situation. Yeah. Just etiquette yeah. across the board. Yeah. So then in, in being critical, which I think is a natural and healthy part of becoming a better musician is sort of this idea that when is it time to turn off the critical ear and actually enjoy a performance and not just always be trying to look for mistakes? I guess, is there ever a time as a musician that you can relax and enjoy a concert or the more educated and the more you know a piece, for instance, are you always sort of picking out mistakes and does going to concerts become less enjoyable in a sense because you're always sort of picking apart how things went? Well, I definitely think one way to stay positive in performances and not be so critical is to actually be able to play all the notes. (laughs) Um, I know that sounds funny (laughs) and it's like, you know, And this is going to tie into when we talk about, you know, how to be irreplaceable in an orchestra is really to be able to play your part. Like if you can really nail everything and even all the difficult noodly passages Mm -hmm. that are, you know, pianissimo and that no one ever really hears that are just there for effect. Yeah. If you can actually play that, then you have less of a reason to attack other groups that have difficulty with things. Mm -hmm. I really do think so. Like if you can play your best and really try to give your best, then you're not going to have as much energy left over or even want to spend energy on attacking other groups or other things in the concert that might not have gone so well. Yeah. What about if you are an audience member? I've got to say that I've actually taken a break from concert going Um, The last couple of years, not because I'm like so cynical, I can't even stand myself, but just because if if my friends are on stage or Christian's laughing at me big time. I love that. I'm just cynical. I can't even stand myself. Well, yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that, (laughs) but I think that in becoming a performer, I've definitely lost a bit of my appreciation for certain types of concerts. I just kind of stepped away from concert going. It's completely different if someone I know is in the group. Mm. You know, I'm all about supporting them. Like, I have, excuse me, I don't have to. I, I'd willingly choose to go to my husband's wonderful quartet concerts <laughs> very often. And if you decide to go to a concert, it is your place to choose joy in that. If you can't, then don't go. And if you're going to see like a famous violinist or somebody somebody that you could potentially be encouraged by or inspired by, mm-hmm. you know, don't point out their flaws because you make tons of mistakes yourself. You know, I, I don't even see the point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just don't do that. I feel like that's such the temptation, though, to like if you're going with other musicians, like it's the in vogue thing to do to be like, oh, can you believe her tempo in the third movement? Like, can you believe she played all those uh, up staccato separately? Like, I mean, I do these things. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is just an ego trying to prove that, you know, how it's written or, you know, how it's typically done. I guess that sort of that is the same thing of trying to tear somebody down in order to puff yourself up. Like it's self-defeating. Then sort of the other idea is, can you really appreciate a concert and really turn off your critical ear 
and just enjoy a performance. I feel like sort of the difference when you become more educated is that you know all this stuff. And if I think back to when I was completely ignorant and didn't know the piece or didn't know how a better orchestra sounded, it was sort of this ignorance is bliss. And not to think negatively about audience, but there's a lot of audience members that you know, don't really listen to orchestra music regularly. They got free tickets to the concert and it could be the worst concert in the world and they just leave thinking it was the best thing ever. And there's sort of, I sometimes envy that ignorant appreciation that it was just like, wow, it was so great. Everything, everything was so great. And I leave the same concert and think, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that. So just being critical and being educated about taste in orchestra concerts or any kind of concert, does that take away the enjoyment? It can, but do you think there are layers to how much one knows or understands about a specific subject? Like, for example, okay, I have a couple degrees and I've played in orchestra for a long time, so I understand orchestra or orchestral playing on a certain level. So I can go into a concert and be a fairly critical judge. I can understand a lot. But... I also don't have 40 years of experience in one of the world's top orchestras. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like I'm only allowed to judge as far as my resume permits. I kind of feel like who am I to judge orchestral playing or even a soloist playing on something when it's like, I can't get up on stage and do that myself or I would not even pass first round for that orchestra's audition. It's really... It is an ego thing. And I think that's why, or my, I should say my level, I'm I'm willing to be mm-hmm. critical, maybe to guard myself. Or I'm willing to be cynical to guard myself from really accepting my current situation or where I'm at. And then somebody who might be in one way better orchestra isn't going to need to be cynical because they've actually gotten to the next tier, to the next level where they're able to understand it and appreciate it at an even higher level. And say, okay, that's how hard they worked. I can appreciate those colors. One one time, actually, I played a chamber music concert. Actually, I played with Jess. This was mm-hmm. the Brahms uh, piano quintet. And a good friend of ours, who's in Bergen Philharmonic, was in the audience. And I was kind of nervous about like what he was going to say or what he was going to think. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, did you like it? Was it okay? And he goes, it was just such like a refreshing performance. I enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, you think this was fine? And he goes, hey, like, wait a second, you know... I I knew that five good musicians were getting on stage and I just trusted it. You know, I put it into your hands and I just had the faith that you would perform well and I enjoyed that. So he really didn't listen with a critical mind, you know, and he blows all of us out of the water. So (laughs) it was, it was really great to hear like, wow, okay, here's a great musician saying, I trust these musicians, they're going to perform and I'm just going to enjoy it. And I think that's for me a great level to reach. Yeah. And I think that basically... Anna and Christian are saying the same thing, which is it's a mindset. If you go in wanting to hear good music and wanting to hear and not having an expectation of what you're going to hear in, in a way, I mean, obviously if you go to see Berlin Phil, you're going to expect to hear some good stuff, Mm -hmm. but I mean, and they probably um, won't disappoint you either. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But they might play it differently than you played it in America or something. So if you're open to hearing some of that, as opposed to hearing it and then being like, Oh, that was crazy. They did all down bows there 
Or you can say that's crazy and be impressed by <laughs> the speed at which they can do consecutive down bows. But you know, if you can, <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty, that would be impressive. So I think what you just said is really interesting that if you know, oh, that passage, we normally play it all separate bows, but they do all down bows that that depth of knowledge can really help you appreciate and enjoy things even more. Knowledge to pick apart things and look for things to complain about or um, that it's sort of, I think, I sort of think of it as before, like when I was in middle school or high school and didn't really know much about, didn't really know much about music, it was like listening to concerts like in black and white. And I think for many audience goers, it's sort of that it was just like, either all good or all bad or I didn't really I didn't really know all the intricacies I didn't know I didn't know like this depth of palette and kind of the more I study and more I learn and hear great performances it's sort of like listening in ultra high definition you can hear the colors you can hear the differences different tempo because you know what is typically done and what is maybe this is on the fast side of typical or maybe they do lots of interesting things that the majority of concert goers are just blind to does that make sense yeah i think it does you all look very puzzled i think we can swing this back around too though um, and apply it to being a performer in a group because you know you have to weigh where you are in your life and what your goals are and if if you haven't met what the ultimate goal is you have to assess I don't know about every year well I assess more often than that but let's say I have a real productive assessment yearly <laughs> of what the gigs are that I am currently getting and mm-hmm. where I am in relationship to my life dream the dream and the ego that plays into how you're making it or how you're not making it really affects your participation in ensembles. And so for me personally, I know I have to have at least one really great gig a year that's super inspiring to me. And this is not the case for maybe the other people that are in my super inspirational experience. Some of them maybe are critical of what's going on. But, you know, I've had one this year so far that I stepped into this situation and I was enthralled by everyone in it. I had a great experience. It was really productive, really inspiring for me. And I didn't criticize Mm -hmm. anything really. You have to track your feelings about gigs because then I go into other gigs that were playing Messiah completely slow and triplets instead of dotted (laughs) figures. And I want to poke my eyes out with a pencil (laughs) and it's so easy to be critical in those moments. And some people, this is a real story. Some people decide to get drunk and high before these concerts because they can't handle it (laughs) and are trying to rush the tempos. During performance (laughs) or, you know, and like in those moments, you're getting tendonitis, you want to pass away. It's not fulfilling. And (laughs) you have to think how productive is it in this moment to criticize this experience during and after the fact, as opposed to just like moving on and saying this paid my rent for the week. Let's keep going. Yeah. We all have to just assess and be positive and encourage that in our lives, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Coming up after the break, we get into the actionable items to help us avoid cynicism in our lives. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Per Service blog and podcast is made possible by orchestraexcerpts.com, the website that I created to help instrumentalists prepare excerpts for orchestra auditions. Look, we all know that auditions are hard, but studying how the excerpts go and getting the sheet music doesn't have to be. So I created this website to make learning orchestra excerpts much easier and efficient. If you're preparing for an audition, 
orchestraexcerpts.com makes it easy to listen to multiple recordings of excerpts and follow along with the sheet music right on the screen. You can also purchase the excerpt collections, either clean parts or ones edited with Boeing's and fingerings, and many other resources. Whether it's for a summer festival, a youth orchestra, your school seating audition, or for the Berlin Philharmonic, you can find all your excerpts and listen to them at orchestraexcerpts.com. And per service podcast listeners can get 10% off on any other purchases by using the promo code podcast in the checkout. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Audible.com, where per-service listeners can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at perservice.co slash audiobook. Towards the end of the discussion today, Anna reads a quote from the book The Crowd, The Critic, and the Muse by Michael Gunger. Here's a short sample from that book. I had heard her, but I hadn't realized I was doing it. I was too disconnected, jaded, fading. As the love of my life wiped the tears from her eyes and looked back into mine, I knew the pain in those eyes was my doing. And in that pain, I saw the shadow of the decrepit, feeble ghost that had once been my soul. I realized that it wasn't external circumstances that were responsible for my numb detachment from the world. It wasn't the economy or the music industry that was to blame for the formless void that filled what used to be a passion for my work. It was the groundlessness of my internal world. This was the reason I hadn't written anything for months. Only real things get to create things. Not ghosts or phantoms. Dead souls do not produce the same stuff as living ones do. Hmm, so good, right? I actually played a couple of concerts with him during my time in Nashville, and I have to say, they are the real deal. I encourage you to listen to some of their music. I have a link for it on the show notes, as well as the link to download this audiobook for free today. You can go to perservice.co slash audiobook, or again, the show notes page at www.perservice.co slash nine. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah. I think that was a great actual practical thing you can do because hopefully through this podcast, we can think more deeply about these big topics, but I also want to learn some practical, actionable things we can do to make a difference and try to try to be better and try to improve our mindset. So I think, well, Anna, would you say that is a, a one of your actionable items is to seek out performances where you are inspired and maybe that means you don't get paid as much or yeah totally i mean i guess that's sort of the the different criteria of gigs is sometimes sometimes awesome gigs that are super inspiring don't pay but a lot of times the messiah gigs like you're saying are you're just kind of doing it for the money. Right. And and I think if you can find that balance, that's great. And it's not always possible. Like there have been years in my life where I have not been able to choose the gig that would be more fulfilling because it paid less and I had to buy groceries that week. You know, that's not always an option. I think we've all experienced that. Yeah. You know, your choices absolutely affect your mindset and the other way around. And I think that you have to be on top of your mental health and your mental condition as a musician because it is a it's a taxing profession. For sure. Personally, I don't want to become known as the cynical person who sits, you know, in the back or the cynical person in that orchestra, which I think can segue into everybody tune back in for our next um, episode about how to make some friends. Make some friends. But you know, I don't want to be that like, old person 
who's the cynical old person, which I think you see in a lot of orchestras actually, or a lot of gigs or whatever you want to say, you know, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be president of the bitter (laughs) women's club or whatever. Well, right. And when you meet the older people who maybe they're, they've just been freelancers their whole lives, but they're legitimately happy and joyful in the position that they're in and having a great time. And they bring chocolate to rehearsal and they're super fun. (laughs) Like I want to be that lady. Yeah. Yes. Great. I don't want to be the bitter people who are never satisfied with what they have. Guys, hello. Why are we musicians? <laughs> right. It's, I yeah. think that that's kind of been lost in the world. You know, the beauty of music and the indescribable feeling that you get with, you know, being a part of an experience that doesn't always have words. Yeah. You know, that's the goal here. And I think that we so often lose sight of it in competitions and auditions. They are joy zappers, yeah. but they don't have to be. Christian, do you have any practical advice? Something that helped me and it has been practical is being conscious about a mindset shift. Last summer or a year and a half ago when I was visiting some friends in the States, they had a sign up in their kitchen and it said, I think thankfulness turns that which we have into enough. And I think that's just something really that is a very strong combatant. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a very strong combatant against cynicism is thankfulness. If you can really find things to be thankful for and grateful for, it can really eat away the cynicism and really just deplete it of all of its strength. And so I just encourage you, yeah, to find some things to be thankful for and grateful for in your gig of the week and let that carry you through. Ooh. Something I started to do is I like routines or I like sort of maybe a little rituals that before an event, you kind of do the same thing and just kind of, kind of going through the motions helps get your mind right. And something that I always do, and I think everybody does before a concert is we always reach and reach for our phone and flip the ringer off to make sure that your phone is off. Sometimes I've, I've done this. I don't always remember to do it, but as I'm looking at my phone, just kind of think I'm flipping the switch that I'm going to turn off my super cynical, judgmental mindset and try to just enjoy it. And it's sort of, it it can become like a physical representation of your mindset. I'd encourage you if you want to try to avoid it, consider doing that, that you are, gets a physical switch that every time you do it, and it's something that we, you know, should hopefully always remember to do before a gig or rehearsal or something. Yeah. And in that way you are, you know, that can be applied to your personal, you know, cynicism towards yourself and towards others. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing yeah. that you have to worry about is what other people are thinking of you. And in that, I might have a good quote for us. Ooh, My I like this. friend, one of our listeners, Sarah Claire, recently posted, you know, musings on a book that she was reading, a book for creators, The Crowd, The Critic, and The Muse by Michael Gunger. Ooh. Um, there's a quote in here that helps us deal with criticism coming from at us from others. But do you want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, read it. Kind of a squirrely voice, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) That that definitely helped. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Creators are prone to listening too intently to the voice of the critic. We change ourselves and our art to please the critic so we can feel safe, feel like we are worth something. The critic is most often the voice of the preoccupied, a voice concerned with its own issues and its own ego. You are just a brief flicker on its radar screen. The voice of the critic is not sturdy enough to build your work on. It's too fickle, too fleeting. Hmm. 
So good. I really like that. Yeah. You've- I like when I get that blown up and put like on my music stand and on my mirror and everywhere. Yeah. Is it, it can be you and it can be other people that are your, you know, you know what I say. You can be your own, your yeah. own. Refer- yeah. You can't make art because of what other people are going to think about it. I think it's, you have to decide for yourself why you're doing it. Ah, the feels. Feel the feels. Yeah. And you got to decide <laughs> if you're going to keep doing it despite what people say or think, man, I think that I think that put a cap on it. Hashtag feelings. Feel the feels. <laughs> Hashtag the feels. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. That it has. <laughs> mouth trumpet again this time? No, mouth I trumpet. love the mouth <laughs> it trumpet. It was the best. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Pretty funny, Michael. Thanks for making me look cool, even though I'm really nerdy. We all are. But this episode is not complete without you know what? The sign off. The sign offs. All right, guys. I am Michael O'Giblin. I'm Anna Luz. I'm Jessica Wiersma. And I'm Christian Marshall. Oh, that was like the best one we've ever done. Well, that is our show, folks. So to recap, the five things you can do to reduce cynicism in your life. One, worry about yourself. Be above reproach by being able to play everything as best you can. And good luck with that. Number two, try to play at least one gig a year or semester that is truly fulfilling, even if that means that it doesn't pay so great. Number three, find something to be thankful for or grateful for every day. Number four, imagine that turning off your phone's ringer is flipping your mindset from being cynical to being thankful or appreciative. Number five, put an inspiring quote somewhere you can see it regularly, maybe a mirror or your case, to remind you of why you're doing what you're doing. Well, that's something to think about. You can find the show notes, including that link to the book that Anna mentioned by Michael Gunger, on the show notes page at www.perservice.co slash nine. That's P-E-R-S-E-R-V-I-C-E dot C-O slash nine. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating in iTunes. It really just helps other musicians find our show. And if you have a question that you'd like to ask us in an episode, you can either ask it in your iTunes review or record it using the SpeakPipe widget on the show notes page. And don't forget, we are also on Instagram under Per Service Podcasts, and you can share with us your hashtag gig of the week. Well, we will be back in two weeks with another great episode about making friends at your gig. Until then, be well and practice well. <laughs> Guys, right. does anybody have better mouth trumpet? No. No. Here's mine. <laughs>